0: Hey guys, um, I appreciate you listening to this message. This is very, very raw. It is not where I wanna be on a Thursday. Um, But I tried to get this done yesterday and struggled. I tried to get this done this morning and have struggled and I feel like maybe I just need to say it out loud and preach it for a little bit instead of staring at my computer screen. Um, Give me some feedback. So uh, yeah, this is, um, to kick off to our new series called Self-Help. Uh, give me one sec and I'll grab my notes. Um, Alright, here we go. Uh, just before Jesus began his public ministry, he experiences two significant events that would shape and define his relationship with God. The story can be found at the end of Luke 3 and the beginning of Luke 4, and as you open your Bible or your app, uh, I want to encourage you to find yourself in this story because I believe one, if not all three of the temptations that Jesus faced, um, I believe you can relate to one, if not all three, of the temptations that Jesus faced. And over the next several weeks, I hope we can learn how to handle them uh, the way that he did. So let's take a look at it. Sorry, I'm flipping papers. It says, When the people were, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying as he was praying, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Now we'll come back to that statement several times over the next several weeks. But it is a key thing. You are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry and then we get a little bit of a genealogy if you're looking at it in your Bible there's a little bit of a genealogy there and then it picks up in chapter 4 this way Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan, that's where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil he ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry makes sense The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, then you tell this stone to become bread. In other words, you prove you're the Son of God by what you do. Jesus answered, said it's written, Man should not live by bread alone. So the devil leads him up to a high place and he shows him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to him, I will give you all of their authority and all of their splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. In other words, you can have everything. Jesus answered and said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, then throw yourself down for him. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up their hands so that you won't even strike your foot against the stone. In other words, if you are the Son of God, if you are who you say you are, you prove it by your connection to him. And Jesus answered, he said, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all the tempting, he left him into an opportune time. Here's what I find so interesting. The three temptations of Satan are not so much just temptations of Jesus, but they're the same temptations that we face. Temptations to prove ourselves by what we can do, temptations to prove ourselves by how much we have or how much we know, or how, but, how good of a plan we've created, or to prove ourselves by who we're connected to. And here's the reality, we're all wired differently. We're all unique, we have different talents, we have different abilities, different passions, different interests. We're not all the same. And on one hand, that's great, it leads to diversity and beauty and design and progress. In other ways, that's frustrating, because if everyone else thought the way we did, then the world might go a little bit smoother. Like, everybody would know exactly what to expect from everybody else, and I think, for the most part, we'd all be good. And while that might sound good for a minute or two, it's really not even worth contemplating for that long, because the reality is, we're all different. We see the world different. We look through different lenses. Different things excite us, and different things frustrate us. What invokes passion and desire for one person bores another person to tears. What bothers one person to, the, to their core may not even frustrate somebody else. It doesn't take a long time living this life to realize we're not all the same. So this morning we're kicking off a series called Self Help, where we're going to take a look at some of the different personalities that make up the world around us. Um, we're going to take a look at the temptation of Jesus, how it. And we're going to take a look at the temptation of Jesus and some of the different person. No, I need to figure out a better way to say this. We're going to take a look at Jesus and his temptation. And understand how it lines up with the same temptations that we face. Because regardless of what person you are, regardless of how you're wired, um, we all need some help. So over this series, we're going to take a look at some of the different personalities that make up the world around us. And here's my goal for the series. I want you to continue to discover, or maybe discover for the first time, who you are in all of your uniqueness. And I want to help you see how your unique wiring and giftedness is not only needed in our church but in our world and that if you'll discover not only discover but embrace who you are your life and the lives of those around you will be better because of it and so with that goal in mind let's start with some things i think most of us can agree on first of all we process differently some of us think about everything we live in our heads we analyze plan prepare and think our way through life and as head people we're more connected to logic or at least we feel that way than feelings which means that it many times we can be a bit stiff or cold others in the room feel everything they wear their heart on their sleeves they're in touch with their emotions um and they're in touch with the world around them they tend to be highly relational and well connected it's not about introvert or extrovert right here as much as it is our perceptiveness and our ability to empathize and feel for those around us A whole other group of people in the room isn't driven by deep thought or by big feelings. Instead, they're driven by action. They don't care what you think or what you feel. They care about what you have done. This group trusts their gut to guide them. And most, if not all the time, their gut gets it right. They stand up for the little guy. They fight for peace. And they really work hard to restore justice. But as we begin to explore these ideas of who we are, where we belong, and how the temptation of Jesus applies to our lives we're going to take a look at nine different personality types based on a tool called the enneagram now enneagram is just a greek word meaning nine points and the reason i prefer this tool over many other ones is because of its connectedness and completeness with all the personalities because see, i have taken many personality tools that tell me my strengths and what career paths i should consider um i've taken some that put me in a box they tell me who i am who i should marry or who i avoid it feels kind of like a glorified horoscope and those tests have been good they've been helpful Um, but the Enneagram is the best personality tool I've ever worked with. Uh, and here's a few reasons. One, it gives me all my scores. It gives me scores in all nine uh, personality types. It doesn't just limit me to, um, it doesn't limit me to one thing or one set of traits. Two, it gives me my score on a resourcefulness and non-resourcefulness in each one of those nine types. Resourcefulness would be those traits and qualities that build others up and help build the kingdom of God. Non-resourcefulness is those traits and qualities that tear down work against the kingdom of God. Let me give an example. This morning we're talking about people who are deep thinkers. Their ability to get lost in thought is great and helpful when they use it to create a blueprint to solve a problem in our world. But that same ability to so easily get lost can also lead you to isolate yourself miss out on life-giving relationships. And here's the reality. In a world full of snap decisions and overreactions, we need deep thinkers that see life from a different level. But in order for your perspective, deep thinker, in order for your helpful perspective to actually be helpful and make a difference you must leave your isolation and share it with the world around you we must learn that our unique wiring it we must learn and here and here's my goal that we would learn not just for the deep thinker but for all of us that we'd learn how to use our unique wiring in a resourceful way um so that we can be the community god's called us to be here's the third reason i really like enneagram it's the tool I'm most familiar with. doesn't make it the best tool out there. Maybe there's a different one. You can suggest it to me, but it does make it more useful to me. In a world overloaded with option, it's the tool I've chosen to use and I've found to be the most helpful. And the more I use it, the more I work with it, the more I study it, the more helpful it has become. But before I keep going, I want to be really upfront about two things this morning. First of all, the Enneagram is not equal to scripture. It's not. In, it's not the inspired word of God, and we're not going to teach it as if it is. All teaching from this stage will be faced first on the truth and authority of the Bible. The Enneagram is simply a tool that helps us understand ourselves better in light of what Scripture has already taught us. Secondly, because the Enneagram is not equal to Scripture, my goal isn't to legitimize or argue its authority. If you don't want to take it, you don't want to use it, you don't believe it, totally fine with that. Because at the end of the day, the Bible is our authority in this series just like it is in every other series here at Element. But as we dive into this idea of personality and begin to understand ourselves, um, one of the things that helps me best understand different personalities is tools. There's a ton of different tools for a million different jobs, from a screwdriver to a hammer uh, or from an instruction manual to the beer afterward to celebrate. All of them are needed, but they clearly don't do the same thing or accomplish the same purpose. Some of the tools get used more than others, but at the end of the day, all the tools are needed to finish the job and accomplish our task. Same is true when it comes to personalities in the church. If we're going to accomplish our mission of connecting real people to the real Jesus, we need different personalities and talents to get us there. We need blueprint designers and people that follow the blueprints. We need people who, with the personality of a hammer that builds up walls to protect people and others. Um, we, we need people... With the personality of a hammer that build up walls to protect people that can't protect themselves. And we need others who act like more of a level to make sure we're all in balance with one another. We need tape measures and people who measure twice and cut once. And then we need people who can be a paintbrush bringing creativity and beauty to the world around us. Imagine just for a moment that we tried to paint with a hammer or square up a wall with a paintbrush. Not only would it slow us down, it would just create a mess. The same is true when it comes to personalities. If we don't have the right people in the right places doing the right things that God's gifted them and talented to do, if we try and just be somebody else because we really want to be, it doesn't help anyone. So to help us understand ourselves and each other, each week we're going to talk about a different tool we need to accomplish our mission. We'll talk about how the tool reflects a certain personality with the potential to help us accomplish our mission or destroy our mission. And in my opinion, the most fitting tool to start with is the blueprint without the blueprint. You don't know what you're building. You don't know how big it should be. You don't know what the foundation is without the blueprint. We're just lost and floundering. See the people we're talking about this morning that are represented by a blueprint. They're deep thinkers. They process things in their head. They love to think and overthink. And for the most part, they're great at it. If you'll give them some time, let them get away, isolate themselves. Typically they're going to come back with a great solution that actually solves the problem. But interestingly, the very thing that enables the blueprint to be able to do their research, test their hypothesis, provide a solution, is the same thing that gets in their way at times. Think about this. What does a deep thinker need in order to be able to think deeply? Time and space. And to a point that's good and helpful. It allows for more research and more information gathering so we can make wise decisions. But too much time and space leads to isolation and loneliness. At some point, they've got to come out of their bat cave and save Gotham. And the only way to do that is not just to think, but to engage. Hang on one sec. I'm sorry for the breaks in this. This is super choppy. I apologize. So what's the temptation of the blueprint? It's to more. Not so much more stuff, not so much more of a plan, just simply more info, more data, more studying, more research, more time. If they can just have more time, more information, it will lead to wiser decisions. And on the surface, more info leading to wisdom makes sense. But the reality is this. There are times in life when you can have more info and still make bad decisions. And there are moments in life where the time it takes to gather info will actually hold you back from making the right decision because people need help now, not in six months when you've been able to data test everything. But the temptation, if we go back to Jesus, it parallels what Jesus is invited to by Satan. Satan says, listen... If you'll just bow down to me, if you'll just follow me, I'll give you everything. What more, what amount of security do you need? You'll have it all. All of the wisdom of Solomon and his temple. All of the stuff that comes from from this world. Everything this world has to offer, I'll give it to you. How could you not be satisfied with that? How could you not be satisfied with more? And as he does, and as he tempts Jesus, Jesus has a response and he comes back. Hang on just a second. Jesus comes back and says, You must worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Here's the reality Jesus wants us to understand. Or that Jesus understood that I think would help us. At the end of the day, we are not involved in the worship of more. There are times to gather more info, but at the end of the day, our trust is not in our information. Our trust is in our relationship with our God. And Jesus doesn't just say it because he's just overly confident. Jesus says it because he had just been told by his God that he is well-pleased with me. It's like God of the universe looks down at his son and knows that in some ways he's lacking. Now, that's not theologically correct, and i got to figure out how to say this. But it's like he looks down at us, sees that we're lacking at times, and if we'll allow him to, he will tell us... I see your downfall, but I want you to know, with you I am well pleased.